All right, so I'm going to start reading here, and uh, this, is, uh, this, is the, this is how the story starts. In Revelation chapter 12, it says this, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with an ard, a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the women fled into the wilderness where she was prepared to, I'm sorry, where there was a place prepared by God in which she was to be nourished for 1,260 days. Okay, so I did warn you that this is a strange story um, that makes a very significant spiritual point and, uh, and, and, and brings to light a spiritual reality. And Part of what makes this story so strange is that it's not a storyline that any of us are familiar with, right? You know, a woman, a dragon, and a baby, right? Have you ever heard that one? Uh, probably not. But here's the thing. What's foreign to us would have been very familiar uh, to the people who were first reading this book of Revelation. So it would be sort of like if someone started telling you a story... And the story, there's, it's a story about kryptonite. And there's a guy named Lex Luthor in it. And there's another character named Clark Kent, right? Our brains would automatically pick up that this is a Superman story. And, and we kind of align our expectations um, accordingly, right? Uh, so back in the first century Roman world, there was a very well-known story. It was a story about a dragon named Pythos. It was about a woman who gave birth to this son kind of demigod whose name was Apollos. And that baby, at the ripe old age of four days old, actually um, defeated the dragon. And there's a few different versions of this story. Uh, there's actually one that the, em that the Roman Empire actually turned it into a type of propaganda piece where the emperor assumed the role of Apollos. And, um, and so what's happening here is Revelation, it's sort of flipping the script on that story. So, so don't worry too much about that. We'll actually look into more of that next week. Uh, but the point is that it's going to take a little bit of time uh, to, to sort through what's going on here in the story. But like I said, it is worth it because there is some rich, deep stuff in this passage. And believe it or not, um, in every one of the commentaries that I've read, all of the scholars point to this chapter to this story being the actual centerpiece of what the book of Revelation was written to reveal, what it's all about and what it means for us. And so that's, that's, that's where we're at. There's some significance here. And, and just to clarify, this is not a story about something that is going to happen at some time in the future. Um, this is about a very real conflict that is going on right now in the present. And this is one of my sort of like, ah, I guess burdens or desires that we're hoping that we're, we're starting to equate revelation less with the word future 
and, and more with the word faithful in the present. Um, and the reality is, is that this isn't someone else's story, uh, because by the end of it, what we're going to find out is that this is actually telling our story. Right now, it's a story about Christ followers contending against a very real spiritual adversary right now as we are living through the in-betweens of what is now and what ultimately will be. Okay, so that's a little bit of the backdrop so we understand where we are. Um, the story is described as a sign from heaven, and that means that this, the story itself isn't meant to be taken literally. It's, it's symbolic, it's, it's illustrating, it's painting a picture of a, of a spiritual reality. So, so the expectation is not that we're going to look in the sky and see a dragon flying around, okay? Um, just, just understand that. Uh, but there are three main characters that get introduced in this first scene. The first one is, is a woman who is wearing a very peculiar wardrobe that consists of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so the sun is what she's wearing, the moon is what she's walking on, and she has 12 stars wrapped around her head in the shape of a crown. She looks good. And, and, and you know, to all of you moms who are here with us this morning, you guys look really good too. And I am so thankful that you're here. We celebrate you this Mother's Day morning. Um, in addition to her wardrobe, though, we're also, we're also informed that this woman is expecting. Uh, in fact, she is very pregnant and she is right on the brink of giving birth. And birth, of course, is a very beautiful thing, but there's also a whole lot of pain involved in the process as well. And, and it says here that she is in heavy labor that's described as agony, agonizing. Now, now keep that in mind, kids, right? Because this is what your mom went through for you to get onto this planet, agony, okay? Remember that today, and if you have the opportunity... Spoiler rotten, because she went through agony to get you here. Um, and so the question here, as we're looking through this story, is who is this mystery mama, right? Um, she is actually the most complicated character to figure out in this story. And just to be perfectly clear, no, I am not making any comparisons. I am not saying your mom is the most complicated character in your story. Um, I'm not going there. I'm not saying that. Um, but compared to the other characters, you know, um, she gives birth to the child. The child we understand right away, that's the Lord Jesus. He is the male child who was born to rule the nations with an iron rod. And, and so the, the immediate answer that comes to mind is that, okay, so this must be Mary. This must be Mother Mary. But there's also some hints here in this passage that show that this is referring to more than just an individual, not just Mary as a person. And, 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 and we're learning in Revelation that when we come across something that makes us scratch our head, something that's confusing, that the way we find the answer to that is not by turning on the cable news network, right? The rockets in the sky, where is that? Um, no, it's by turning to the Old Testament. Because this book of Revelation is just steeped in Old Testament imagery. It's everywhere. It's all over the place, including this passage right here. 
So way back in Genesis 37, remember the story about Joseph and his technicolor dream coat, right? And, and, and he had this dream where he told his brothers about this dream that he had. There was this dream um, about the sun and the moon and the stars, the very things that this, this, this woman is wearing. And, and, and in his dream, the sun referred to his father, the, the moon to his mother, and then the 11 stars referred to his brothers, the ones who bowed down to him. And that kind of got him in some trouble when he shared that part. But, but if you remember that those names of his brothers, they, they, were the, they, they became the 12 tribes of Israel. They were all named after uh, the 12 sons. And so, and so there's the sense in which this woman um, seems to represent not just Mary, but represents all, all of God's people throughout all of history, right? Um, and so we're, we're also introduced to this very threatening red dragon, scary dragon, right? And, and this dragon is primed ready to pounce on this child to devour him at the very moment of birth. And so at first sight, and we're looking at this, and it just appears as though this child is doomed, right? What hope can a helpless child and a woman who just gave birth have against this ridiculously strong dragon? All of these things that are in the descriptions of the dragon are meant to just make the point that this dragon is powerful, um, but that's not what happens. The child escapes. He gets mysteriously, miraculously transported up to heaven. And, and, and of course, when it comes to the dragon, um, there's no surprise about identifying him uh, and who he is. No deducing is necessary. We're told explicitly, we're going to be told explicitly in the, in the very next passage that this is, this is the devil. This is the ancient serpent. And, and that image, that takes us again all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis in that scene in the, in, in, in the Garden of Eden after the fall with Adam and Eve. And, and, and that's where that, this, this ancient contest was set in motion. This, this contest between where, where the seed of the woman uh, was destined to crush the head of the serpent. Um, and, and, and in Scripture, that is the battle of history. That is the battle of history, and this is sort of like a snapshot of that conflict. But then something happens here. The storyline quickly moves. It takes us from the moment of that conflict to the moment when that conflict actually comes to an end. And so the child gets caught up to the right hand of God, to the throne room of heaven. The woman flees into the wilderness. Uh, that's a scene we'll come back to a little later. But the dragon then follows this child into the halls of heaven to hunt him down. And that's where the second scene opens up. And it gives us an up-close picture and view of our adversary. Here's, here's what it says. It says, Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. All right. Um, so, 
war has broken out in heaven at this point. And what's fascinating is that the entire war, the entire battle goes down so incredibly quick, right? It's two short sentences. The battle starts and then it's over. And at the end, the dragon is defeated. And the spotlight of this heavenly scene is clear. It is clear. It's on unmasking this defeated dragon. So what we get here is sort of like an expose. It's informing us about what the dragon's defeat means, who he actually is, and how he works. So when the dust settles, um, we see that the dragon is done. He has lost the battle, but that's not it. He's also lost his place in heaven as well. And so what happens is like the ultimate exorcism takes place. Satan and his angels get cast out of heaven and they get hurled down to the earth. And then all of the different aliases that the, uh, that the dragon has gone by, they all get identified. So we can clearly understand who this guy is. And this is kind of the place in the book of Revelation where Satan kind of gets a very formal introduction. We've heard hints of him up until now, but this is the place where he gets formally introduced. And to quote the Rolling Stones song, you know, pleased to meet you. I hope you've guessed my name. And he goes by a lot of them. There's a few of them. The dragon says, it's the ancient serpent, the same one who, who tempted Adam and Eve way back in the beginning. He's also known as the devil. That literally translates as slanderer. In other words, he's a liar. He, he opens up his mouth and he tells lies. He goes by Satan as well, and that means accuser. He's consistently, always making accusations, casting blames. You remember the story about Job when Satan is up in the halls of heaven, and, 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 and God says, have you considered my servant Job? This guy is just great. And Satan says, yeah, that's only because you've spoiled the guy like a rotten child, you know? Uh, just take away his health, take away his family, take away the privileges and watch him. He'll curse you to, to your face. And he's accusing all the time. So if those, if those names kind of describe what our adversary does, the last one describes the way that he does it. He says, it says that he is the deceiver of the whole world. That, that means that this devil majors in subtleties. He's crafty. And deception is a strategy. Deception is the bait he uses to set the hook. And again, we think of that image in the garden when, when Adam and Eve were there and, 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 and the serpent didn't just come along and say, hey, take a... Take a bite of that fruit. By the way, it's never mentioned as an apple. I don't know why people always think it's an apple. But, um, but uh, you know, he said, hey, doesn't that look good? And then he followed that up and said, didn't God tell you not to eat any of the fruit, which was a lie? And then he said, do you realize that God is trying to keep you from something that is, is good, that if you eat it, you'll become like him? Very subtle crafty way of framing the situation in such a way that it looked like everything they wanted and it led to the fall. And so, um, and so 
This whole description, what we're getting here in this scene, it is like a dossier on the devil. And what we find out is that this is one dangerous dude, and he is also someone that we need to be informed about it. And the reason is, is because this guy has come onto our turf now. That's the whole point, right? He is no longer a problem up in heaven, but he's a problem down here because now he's roaming around on our planet, So we need to be informed. We need to know who it is that we're dealing with because this guy is on the prowl and we're going to have to contend with him. He is going to come knocking on our door. So, okay, so let's go to the next scene. At this point, there's like a break in the storyline. John hears this loud voice and it's echoing through the hallways of heaven. He hears this declaration of of victory, of celebration, that that the battle has been won, that this enemy has been defeated. And and this song in heaven, it also lays out for us down on earth a strategy. For this is how we deal uh, with this adversary. So here's, here's what it says. It says this, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them night and day before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell on them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. All right, so this is... This is what's getting shouted in heaven, and it's a strategy for us down here on earth. And, um, and in here, we see three things, a premise, a posture, and a promise for God's people as we contend with this devil and with, with his dark angels. The starting premise is this. The starting premise is that this enemy is already a defeated foe. This adversary that we have to deal with down here has already been defeated up there in heaven. That is the most crucial piece of information that we get here, right? Because what that means is that in a very real way, this raging battle that we are in, it's already over. It's already been won in the most ultimate sense. And what that means is that we, we don't fight for victory over, over the devil. We fight from victory, and the reason for that is, when, when, when Jesus went up, Satan went out. That's, that's what it's getting at. On the other side of the cross, when Jesus was swept up to heaven, he entered into that throne room as master and commander, as the highest authority. And the reality is, is that Satan simply wasn't strong enough to stand against our Savior. He lost his ground, and he couldn't keep his place And we see there that it wasn't even a contest. Jesus didn't even have to fight him himself. He sends out his angel, Michael, to do the work for him. So this isn't like a a clash of, you know, of of equals and the outcome not being sure. Um, That's the premise. The, The battle's already been won. And of course, none of that is new information, right? We don't learn that in Revelation for the first time. This is what we read about all over the Bible, all over the New Testament, like in Philippians chapter 2, it says, after Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that on the other side of that, the Father 
highly exalted him, gave him that name that is above every other name. And then remember when, when Jesus instructed the, the, the disciples to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations, he made it clear. He said, all authority, both in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Now go, right? The deal is that that authority issue, the question of who is ultimately in charge, that got settled at the cross. No question about it. And in the hearts of people where Jesus reigns as Lord, his victory is ours to stand on right now, right? What we, this is what we've seen in Revelation. It's about understanding what's happening up on heaven, up in heaven, and, and letting it play out in the way that we live out our lives here on earth. And this is what it's all about. Jesus is Lord, and the devil is defeated. And we keep that truth front and center as we step into this battlefield, as we deal with the devil's lies, with his deceptions, and, and with his accusations. Okay, so that's the premise. And the voice also tells us a posture to take, a posture to assume. It's the same one that we've seen all throughout this book. And just to make it clear, there is nothing in this book about, you know, going on the offensive, grabbing swords and guns and, and waging any kind of physical warfare, letting our adversary have it, right? We aren't slaying any dragons here. I'm sorry to, 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 to break the news to you. The battle belongs to the Lord's. It's his to fight, not ours. And because that's the case, we are free to take on a very different posture. The way we conquer this one, this enemy who whispers accusations in our ears, two things, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. How ironic, how different that is from what we see all around us. You know, if you want to conquer someone, you overwhelm them with overwhelming force. You take them down and take them out. We don't see that here. Um, we conquer through the certainty that our lives have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. That's how the spiritual warfare gets won. That no matter what slander the enemy attacks us with, what accusation he speaks against you, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the power of knowing God's forgiveness firsthand of knowing that no matter what the enemy hits me with, whatever failure he wants to remind me of, it's all been paid in full by Jesus on the cross. And his shed blood is sufficient. It covers and washes away every sin, every stain. And that truth silences the accuser's lies because the truth is that our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. That means they are ancient history. They're remembered no more, not because of me and how good I am or anything I've done. It's all because of the Lamb of God and the blood that he shed for me on the cross. And then that, that truth, that reality, it works its way in our lives and through our lives and out of our lives in the form of bold testimony. That's, that's our call they, they conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. This is the testimony about Jesus, about who he is, about 
what he's done. It's about proclaiming Christ as king and holding him in the highest place as a posture of our lives by the things that we do, by the words we say, by the way that we live. And, you know, there, there's places in the world, uh, in a world that props up idols to the highest place, um, that's under the influence of the adversary, where there's not a very warm reception to the word of our testimony. I'm thankful that we live in a country, in a place that's not adversarial to that, you know? There are places all over the world where people are literally giving their lives for their testimony. And when that's the case, what it says is that we conquer by treasuring that testimony, by treasuring that testimony. See, the enemy wants us to trash that testimony and compromise, to let go of that truth of who Jesus is, to let go of that truth that Satan lost and Jesus is Lord. It says here, we hold on to that. We stay faithful to Jesus and that reality no matter what the outcome. It says they treasured that testimony more than their very lives, more than life itself. And worst case scenarios, if that leads to death, then what we've seen is that that's nothing more than just following Jesus on the path that he took from the cross to the grave to victory. And sometimes it means we've got to, we've got to walk that same path and it's not going to stop anything. So, so that's the posture. The blood of Jesus and blow, bold witness. Finally, there's a promise. There's a promise here from heaven that we get for the strategy. Maybe you caught it. The, the, the promise is that it tells us that our adversary, his time is short. His time is running out. The battle is raging, but the window is closing on our enemy because the day is nearing when it will be on earth as it is in heaven. Because Jesus is going to bring heaven down to earth. That's, that's what Revelation is all about, right? And when he returns, he will defeat the dragon, and he will be a defeated foe, not only in heaven, but here on earth and everywhere. And, and so that whole story, um, with all of the drama of it, is shown and, and illustrated in the last scene. So let's read it. And by the way, this is the place where we find ourselves um, in the story. So we'll keep on reading to the end for today. This is a two-part story. We'll pick up on it next week. Um, but it says this, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she was to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to to the help of the woman And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river and the dragon that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea is how it closes. All right, so the drama here is resuming. And I know this is a 
crazy picture. This is, this is apocalyptic images here. Um, but the dragon has been thrown from heaven to earth, and he sees that he can't get the child, so his next thing is, is I'm going to go after the mother. But it says the woman is given the wings of the eagle, and again, another Old Testament imagery, like the Israelites in the wilderness, you know, it says that the Lord carried them on eagle's wings. They were sustained. And so the, the dragon chases after the woman in the wilderness, just like he chased after the child in heaven. He tries to drown her, but the earth comes to her aid and swallows up the water. Now, we don't have time to get into all of that, um, but, but here's the thing. Once he figures out that he can't get to her, that she is safe and she is sheltered, look at what he goes next. It says he went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Oh, well, who is that? Who is the rest of her offspring? Oh, we don't need to guess about that either. It tells us right here. I love it when things are spelled out in a book like Revelation. It says this, those who keep the commands of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who is that? That is us. This is our story. And maybe that sounds like good news, but what it means is that there is a target aimed directly at you and at me right now. There is an unseen battle raging at this very moment. Satan has his sights set on God's people. He has his sights set on your destruction. He wants to take you out. He wants to do you in. Like it or not, this is where we're at. This is the reality that you and I live in each and every moment of every day, a spiritual warfare unseen, illustrated here so we can understand this is what we're living in. See, the question is not, are we in battle? The only question is, are we aware of this battle that's already going on? We've got an enemy. He attacks us with lies, with accusations, with deception, and his goal is to just get us to compromise, to let go of the word of the testimony, to give up and to give in. But the good news is that through Jesus, we have everything we need to live in this in-between time. And that's where we are. We are in this in-between time. We are living in the space between what is now and what will ultimately be, between Satan's defeat in heaven and his final defeat on earth, between Jesus' first coming and his ultimate victorious return. And so this is the setting on which we live our lives out. This is our story. But here's the thing, we know. We've been given the information we need. We know who we're dealing with, and so we can be on the alert. We need not be ignorant of the enemy schemes. And because we know that this enemy is already a defeated foe, we can take the necessary steps. We can stand strong. We can stay faithful. We can remember that the battle is the Lord's, that the hourglass of the enemy is running out. The sand is going through that. And Jesus is returning to do down here on earth what he's already done in heaven. And we know the way the story ends.